Hey, everybody. Welcome to a brand new spooky edition of Not a Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we go back and revisit the movies that bombed theatrically and the critics didn't give uh, a thumbs up to. Brad, officially kicking off Spooktober, probably one of my favorite months of the year. Absolutely. And we're doing it with floating purple orbs. Yay. yay. Actually, we're doing it with two very special guests. Do you you want to do the introductions, Mr. Bradley? Yeah, our, our, our buddies... Um, Jose this is a little bit awkward because he brought his new boyfriend to our show, which is kind of weird. <laughs> that is, but anyway, I didn't know uh, he was cheating until tonight. I, I know that he just shows up at our house with another guy. Like, okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? Um, anyway, yeah, the guys over at watch skip plus Jose and Justin, um, we wanted to have them on to talk about a spooky movie. Um, so yeah, guys talk about your show, please. <laughs> Yay, all hail spook to spooktober. Is that yeah. what I'm saying right? Okay, Spooky season, it. man. It's the best season. <laughs> Agreed. So yeah, this is, so, the, wanna... this is the sequel or the squeakle? Squeakle. Because we're like squeakle. we're squeakle. doing all sequel stuff. When yeah. do we okay. get chipwrecked? Mm. Oh, see, <laughs> next year. wrong, oh, okay. wrong theme. Um, <laughs> no, so good point, Brad. We are we are doing sequels, but before we talk about the first sequel, we're kicking off. Um, Justin, Jose. Uh, give us a little take on what Watch Skip Plus is all about. Justin? Okay, sure. The hot new model will take over. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a podcast that Jose and I had been talking about doing for a while. Uh, I was just going back to night school and I didn't feel like I had time. So when Jose basically pitched the idea of, well, let's do what I used to do on Instagram. We're going to watch something brand new, whether it's in the theaters or brand new to streaming or sometimes simultaneously. And we will determine if it's worth watching or if you should skip it. Uh, and the plus comes from at the beginning of each episode, Jose and I and any guests that we have on, we'll get to talk about a little something extra. It doesn't have to be movie related. It could be books, television, video games, a lifestyle choice, some news story, anything that we feel like talking about that gives us an opportunity to do so and gets everyone comfortable with our personalities before just diving into a movie review. So what, what movies have you tackled so far? Um, because again, these are just newer things. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to catch them. And I think, Jose, you've been releasing some episodes um, that are just talking about films that you've seen. It's sort of like a the plus to the Watch Skip Plus, right? Singular? Yes. Singular? The double or plus. Singulars, watch Skip yeah. Singular is what, we, singulars. Is what okay. I call it. Yeah. And uh, well, as you, as you know, like Justin and I love discussing movies. And so you know, our episodes tend to run around on the average about two hours. Um, And so, you know, with with us, especially seeing a ton of movies, uh, we, I did the spinoff just so that there could be like shorter blurbs about movie reviews, shorter capsules. And of course I had Alex on as a guest for that first episode and it ended up being an hour. So that was like still shorter than our normal episodes. Still shorter than our normal, which is great, but we have tackled so far. We have, uh, so far we have nine, no, I'm sorry, seven episodes proper. Mm -hmm. Um, we did bullet train, prey beast, 3000 years of longing, Samaritan, Clerks 3, and we will be releasing Pearl this coming Thursday. Awesome. Uh, I, I love your show. Uh, I love your take. I mean, 
<laughs> Tabitha is not happy about the bullet train review. I'm just letting you know uh, right now. We both so. said to watch it. Yeah, we well, skip it. I, the fact that you didn't go see it like three or four times the way she did in the theater, you're you're not getting a Christmas card. So I apologize, guys. Oh, but um, no, oh, it's man. it's awesome. I, there are a ton of podcasts out here, and it really kind of, kind of comes down to the personalities, right? So mm. I, I don't think anybody's bringing anything new into the world of film enthusiasm or critique. So it really comes down to, do you really like listening to a couple of guys talking about films and maybe even bringing a new slant to it that you may not have picked up before? And you guys certainly deliver that, especially you know in the episodes you've, you've done so far. So um, I, I gotta tell you, my favorite so far is Clerks 3. Yeah, I figured it was going to be. Um, I I usually, <laughs> I don't listen to your spoiler section unless I've seen the film, but I listened to the clerk. I, I couldn't wait for the spoilers because your your exchanges were getting really good. And <laughs> when it when it just went into the spoilers, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to stop now. It's getting really good. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed that episode um, simply because you guys were, I can't wait to see Clerks 3 now because you get two different views mm -hmm. of a film, um, both coming from what I think are very valid points. It wasn't it wasn't just a, well, I don't like it, and well, I like it. You guys are bringing up some really, really good critiques about um, Kevin Smith as a storyteller, as a director, even the performances. So I'm really fascinated because it was, it was absolutely two different views of one film, and, and those are my favorite episodes, so. It was definitely for Jose and I the most divisive, but I think why I loved it was we can get heated, but we're saying it in a joking matter because I mean, I ended up saying to Jose after the fact, I'm actually glad that he had a differing opinion because it could have just been very much both of us going, oh, yeah, this is what was great or this is what was bad. But having that like first episode where we completely are on opposite ends and coming in with a similar love, too, because I know sometimes people are like, well, if he doesn't like Kevin Smith, I'm like, he does, you know? Oh, yeah. And what no. Justin means by, you know, letting me know was the next episode was suck it, Jose. Somebody like, <laughs> hey, I had to still get my digs no. in, okay? I still have to get some <laughs> yes. of my digs in. I, I say indeed. suck it with love. Yeah, exactly. we're, we're not. <laughs> I got to I gotta be honest. <laughs> so, the clerks, suck it with love. The I'm going to use that next time. <laughs> yeah, well. Hey, suck it with love. Shut <laughs> it, Bradford. Um, <laughs> as you can tell. Brad and I are not as cordial when it comes to disagreeing on something. So you guys will just have to, I mean, when, when, when we disagree, it usually comes down to us making fun of each other versus you guys are very polite and uh, much more mature <laughs> in disagreeing on a film. Brad and I don't play that way, but Justin, I, I'm sorry. You're actually the rookie here. And there is a tradition for all first time oh. people who show up is you got to answer five questions. Okay. Yeah. And we have five questions that are themed for Halloween. So I'm going to do the first one. All right. You ready? Okay. okay. Yes. What is your favorite scary movie? Ooh. Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, why, why that one? Uh, for me, that 100% comes from childhood. Uh, I had neighbors that were obsessed with that character and the idea of somebody coming into my dreams and killing me was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So I, a lot of it, I think the concept alone is still very scary. Even if a lot of the later sequels became very, very campy, but that, and I would also say honorary mention to child's play for the same reason. It just terrified me as a kid. So even if I'm not scared of it now, there's still that almost like a, 
flashback to when it used to terrify me and I was locked in a room with a Freddy and a Chucky doll at the age of like six. So and, yikes. And I assume you are talking about the 2010 version, right? Which oh, you know what? Haley. Yes, I was a six-year-old in 2010. Yeah, Chucky Haley was great. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought you were talking <laughs> about that one. Okay. Uh, Brad, what's your question? <clears throat> I believe this is the most important question. I think to it is it too. Now, yeah. mm-hmm. what's your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, Reese's peanut butter cups, even yes. though that's kind of a year round thing. Yep. I'm going no. with peanut butter cups. A perfect answer. Perfect answer. The pumpkin, the pumpkin shape is, I think. Yes. And it does pack in more peanut butter and chocolate. I don't care what anybody says. Agreed. It does. Scientifically, I think They're they engineered thicker. that correctly. Yes, I agree. Trivia tip. Trivia tip. All right. So far, <laughs> so good. You get to stay on, but that's Ooh. only two questions. I'm sweating. This one's a big one. Okay. Which franchise is better? Friday the 13th or Halloween? Oh, yeah, there's there's uh, only one correct answer here. So, so I'm going to go with the one that I think has been most consistent in being entertaining. And that's Friday the 13th. Exactly. Thank you. Yes, I, I think Halloween has some excellent titles in it, but it also has some really big stinkers that drag the whole franchise down as a whole. If I'm grading on that, where even the, the Friday the 13th film I used to hate, Jason Goes to Hell, still not the biggest fan, but there are elements I like of it. Uh, and I, yeah, that movie's amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I think, I'm around slightly on it. I think Halloween has like the higher highs, right? Halloween one, I think, is the mm-hmm. best out of both series, followed by Halloween three. But then, like, Friday the 13th is more consistent throughout yeah. the whole series. It knows there. what it is, and every movie it plays into exactly what it is, exactly. And they're just very fun slashers, especially Jason X. I love when he goes into space. Yes, see, okay. Jose, I love Jason. I got a boat ride. Uh, yes, I, you know what? I always had a soft spot for that one because boats are fun, and then putting them in New York is fun. I don't care what anybody says. That's a campy fun movie. No, they're all, they're all good. Jose, what, what would you pick? Yeah, we're putting uh, definitely Friday Thirteenth. Okay, good. Definitely, good. definitely Friday Thirteenth. And I just want to say. I'm so happy the parents approve of my new boyfriend. <laughs> Yay! Well, hold up. There's still two more There's questions. There's still two I might more questions. Out. He, could, he could be sent back in here in a minute. True, true. All right, Brad, I think, I think you always get the last two questions, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah. Uh, Justin, what are your true intentions with Jose? No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, do you believe plastic. in ghosts? So if you would have asked me this even 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, definitely. There's a possibility. The older I'm getting, the less and less I believe, unfortunately. I think a lot of it can be chalked up to effects of the mind, maybe some other scientific needs. I, I want to believe, to steal from X-Files, but I, I, I get sucked into watching those videos on YouTube, but nine times out of ten, I'm like, no, it could just be this. What the hell? <laughs> Scully, I want to believe. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so hey, we, we know question. you're not a Looney Tunes. That's good. Yeah, so okay. no. I, if I had to be direct about it now okay all right what is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everyone uh you know what this is one that a viewer or listener of yours reminded me is technically a bomb and was a childhood favorite of mine drop dead fred because oh, yes. i somehow one of the few movies we owned as a kid and i don't I, i'm not gonna be able to separate whenever i watch it now i loved it in its stupid humor as a kid uh, honorary mention also to Howard the Duck because that's another one I surprisingly oh, owned as so a child good. and watched like crazy. So, well, funny funny story about Drop Dead Fred. Uh, Brad and I were at Horrorhound and we saw the uh, special edition Blu-ray there, two copies, and we ended up picking it up because we knew we would be talking about it yes. at some point. So, 
what a world we live in that Drop Dead Fred has a Blu-ray. That is kind of crazy. That has a really nice, like, it's Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Really, that, really that, nice that's, print. That's on point for them. That actually is a good label to pull it out. I agree. Uh, Brad, let's let's talk about spooky movies. So the theme this month, and my God, this was the hardest thing to do, was uh, horror movies that were sequels that bombed. And we had a lot of listeners participate in this. I think you two had sent a couple of suggestions our way as well. Mm-hmm. And every time we got together and said, oh, that one clearly bombed. And you go look at it and they're like, no, they spent like a million dollars on it and it made 15 million or spent, you know, 4 million here and 20, 50 million here. I, I mean, sequels specifically in the horror genre rarely, and I mean, rarely lose money. So for us to find four movies this year that were direct sequels or prequels to um, some of the fan favorites out there that were a box office and critical bomb, those were the two things we were looking for. Because sometimes you could find one that was doing great at the box office, but critics hate it, or vice versa. We, we tried to find movies that fit both those criteria. We wanted the true bombs. We wanted the true bombs. And so hitting both of those. <laughs> we wanted the big boy of, uh, or what was fat, fat, boy a big little boy whatever the it was big boy the one with the the cheese bomb yeah oh no he's talking about like world war ii nukes right my fat ass was making (laughs) 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 restaurants frishes but yeah we wanted the frishes big boys we wanted the frishes big boys (laughs) of horror films so you're kicking it off with the first pick what is it yeah it's amityville 3d aka amityville 3 the demon Ooh. As it's known internationally. I yes, we are tackling the Amityville <laughs> franchise. Now, I have a quick question for everybody. This kind of blew my mind. Uh, how many Amityville horror sequels do you think there are? So I almost don't want to answer this because I came with a list of a bunch of them. So I kind of already know <laughs> from what I, I could like find. like 17 or so. It's like oh. a lot. Okay, you got 17. I thought it was like six official. Well, I went to AmityvilleHorror.Fandom.com. Okay, started there. (laughs) There is technically, now this is where it gets crazy. There's technically a list of 24 movies, according to this website, that are sequels. Okay, and this is where it gets kind of crazy. So it all started with the Amityville Horror which um, I don't know. Did, did anybody pick up the new 4k vinegar syndrome? Yes. Okay. I have not yet. I have not yet, but I did buy the out of print shout factory grouping of one, two, and three okay. with the 3d Blu-ray sell that and go buy <laughs> the vinegar syndrome 4k. Uh, I, I watched it. It is beautiful. And the, and the special features on it are fantastic. Lots of stuff to it, but so the three theatrical ones that kicked things off were the Amityville Horror, Amityville 2, The Possession, Amityville 3, um, 3D. Now, it it didn't – everything that came after that up until 2005 was either straight to video or television. Um, and then we get the Amityville, Amityville Horror in 2005. So here, here are some of the freaking titles you get. Um Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes, Amityville Curse, Amityville, It's About Time, Amityville, New Generation, Amityville, Dollhouse, Amityville, Haunting, Amityville, Asylum, Amityville, Death House, The Amityville Playhouse, The Amityville Legacy, which was also reissued with bonus footage as Amityville Toy Box, 
the Amityville Terror, Amityville No Escape, Amityville Evil Never Dies, which also got a reissue with bonus fo- footage as Amityville Clown House. Well, hey, that would, yes, there's a movie Troy. I'm never going to watch. Um, We're covering it next year. Yeah, we've got Amityville Exorcism, Amityville The Awakening, which I think got a theatrical release like a small one. Mm-hmm. Um, Amityville Mount Misery Road, The Amityville Murders, Amityville Island, Amityville in Space, Amityville The Resurgence. Now, what's missing are... This is just like the Mad Libs of like movie titles. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Pretty much. Indeed. And this doesn't include titles such as Amityville in the Hood, Amityville Hex. Those both came out in 2021. Amityville, Amityville Fury Road. Yeah, the Ghosts of Amityville, which is set to be released here in a month or two, uh, as well as Amityville Karen. So those two films came out. If if you actually go... Wait, is and, that about a Karen? It's about yep. a Karen who's possessed like a by possessed the Amityville Karen. house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and she's a real estate agent, can't yeah. sell a house. So she gets all, yep. This doesn't involve any of the documentaries. Um, there's a very interesting documentary. Some of the, uh, our, our listeners had wrote in about, about my Amityville horror story or something of that nature. My Amityville horror yeah. featuring Daniel Lutz, the grown up uh, son of George and Kathy Lutz. Yeah. Which is, yeah. and so would you consider some of like the, the conjuring stuff like adjacent? I mean, two, I think does open in it does the open. house. Yep. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the conjuring is adjacent because the Ed and uh Lorraine and Warren care well, they're not characters, but people, the actual people, they were involved in the original Amityville horror true story. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to get an exact number around this because if you throw out the documentaries, um if, if you go to a website that's dedicated to Amityville Horror, they're they're looking at 24 films, but quite honestly. There's probably another 50 or yeah. 60. Well, out even there. on that website, there's another section where they start naming Amityville movies that basically just had the Amityville title, but really didn't have yeah. anything to do with it. And when I threw them all, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I got 44 movies, including the original run that have Amityville somewhere in the title. And I am, there are two titles I wish you would have stumbled upon. Oh, well, three, actually uh, Amityville shark house, Amityville oh. outhouse, which is apparently coming out soon. And then Amityville vibrator. So <laughs> Yeah, it's all over the place. And I then think I own more- that last one. <laughs> <laughs> Not the movie, just the notes. <laughs> the actual vibrator. And oh. there is one more coming out apparently soon, but it is a one? parody. And it is called Amityville Gas Chamber. And the plot synopsis is Amityville Gas Chamber is a satiric take on the myriad of movies taking legal advantage of an unprotected franchise, cobbling together whatever they want and slapping the Amityville name on it. If that's the way they want to play it, then game on. Yeah, so, I'm actually curious about that one. <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> what What's crazy is with all of this stuff out there within this franchise, I think a lot of um, I, I think a lot of the story, the original story that kicked all this off, because this really started as sort of a true crime incident, mm-hmm. and that uh, spawned a best selling book, which also turned into the first film, The Amityville Horror. Uh, Jose, one of the things I since since you are sort of the king of all things detailed, I had asked you like, Hey, before we record, could you do like a quick little synopsis for anybody who's not familiar with this? That I think, I think some people, younger viewers, especially might come into this and go, Oh yeah, that's an Amityville horror franchise. And they just think it's, you know, something like Friday the 13th, et cetera. But all of this started with a real life murder case. Do you, do you want to kind of review that? Sure. 
Um, yeah. So this is like a lot of horror films uh, uh, or true crime things based on an actual incident. So in November, on November 13th, 1974, in the rather affluent suburban neighborhood of Amityville, which is on the South shore of Long Island, New York, um, there was basically uh, a whole family was murdered. Um, and the only survivor was the son of this, of this fam family called the DeFeo family. So there was um, mother, father, I believe that there were uh, two siblings, um, maybe even a, another sister, and then Ronald DeFeo. And on that night, they were all killed. And the only survivor was Ronald DeFeo Jr. Eventually, there was an investigation, and DeFeo was arrested and charged with the the brutal murders that occurred on that night and in fact he was sentenced to or convicted of second degree murder in november of 1975 and then sentenced to six terms of 25 years to life in prison basically um he did die in custody actually march 2021 but what made things a little interesting about this sort of true crime uh is that first of all the 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 murders themselves were really kind of suspicious. Um, DeFeo at first had said there were multiple people who broke in and that they murdered the family and he only just by happenstance happened to survive and missed all of this stuff. What came out later was that he had actually hidden the murder weapon um, uh, by throwing them in a sewer, I think, um, in a different town. And then there was other evidence that he just threw into the lake because this uh, affluent neighborhood sort of borders on like a lake and there's actually like a dock. Um, the actual address is 112 Ocean Avenue, which apparently they they actually try to hide on Google Maps. In one of the documentaries, it indicated that they will actually block out that actual house and some of the houses around it so that you can't find it. But as we all know from the documentaries, people find the house, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what makes this incredibly interesting is that the family that moved in almost a year after this incident in December, close to Christmas, the Lutzes moved in and they are George and Kathleen Lutz. They also had um, two uh, sons and then a daughter. So a whole family moves in. They didn't stay in, they didn't stay in this house very long, but when they moved in, they uh, or actually when they left the house, they had claimed that there was supernatural things going on in the house, that they were hearing loud noises. They were smelling uh, odd, odd, foul smelling things in the house that would just come and go and disappear. Um, they were seeing black ooze coming out of like their sinks and toilets that would just appear and then go away. They would wake up in the mornings after having been, uh, woken up at 3.15 a.m. almost every single night. And 3.15 a.m., no surprise, is when the family was murdered. Um, and then obviously they call the witching hour between three and four when all the demons come loose and they, they wreak havoc um, on the world. Um, and they also claim that they saw red eyes staring at them from like a window 
that one of their daughters was talking about an imaginary friend. And then lo and behold, they would see weird things in her room, objects moving, like a rocking chair rocking, things like that. Um, a priest went in there also to try to bless the house. And allegedly, he said that he went into a room. It felt suffocating. He felt a slap. And some voice said, get out. And then he you know, ran out of the house, basically. Um, so when they felt that they couldn't stay, the Lutzes involved a bunch of paranormal psychiatrists and people who studied paranormal, you know, phenomena. And that includes Edward and Lorraine Warren. Ed Warren is a self-proclaimed demonologist. Lorraine Warren is a like psychic. And what they had arranged was for them and a bunch of psychics to actually go into the house. And this was televised. There was a reporter there as well. And although each of the psychics was sort of doing their thing and Lorraine said there was a presence and she was scared and, you know, there was like this dark presence, the reporter essentially was like, there's nothing wrong with the house, you know? Um, and then lo and behold, the story gets, to, uh, the, the story gets written in the novel by Jay Anson. Um, and then it becomes this sensation. So what makes it even odder, though, is then the Lutzes felt that they needed to tell their story, right? And while that is going on, DeFeo, well, not while that's going on, but but at the trial, DeFeo had claimed that he was possessed by an evil spirit inside the house, that at night, a dark figure came to him with the 35 caliber rifle and said, go kill your family, Right. And so that's where all of this like supernatural mystique is being born. Um, eventually, well, is, it, is it a part of the trial though? He was a user of like heroin and LSD. So, well, there yeah. was that too. But then there was also really weird, true things about the murders that didn't make sense. So apparently, all, all the people when they were shot, they were all positioned on their stomach, right, and lying in their beds. And all positioned the same way. But this, the murders allegedly happened 3.15 in the morning when there was like a, a, a thunderstorm and a storm. But the rifle would have been so loud. Why didn't any of the other people wake up, right? Why didn't neighbors hear anything? Neighbors never heard anything. Um, it was debunked that the Lutzes often said, well, we would call the police when these weird things were happening. And the neighbors actually came out and said, no police ever came. Um, and that's where it gets a little weird and iffy because once the Lutzes start to, you know, travel the circuit and tell their version of what happened, there's all these now added things to it, right? There's hordes of flies, just like in the movie. And, and it wasn't just voices. I was levitating and, and, you know, George had all these scary feelings. Like he wanted to kill me things you don't think about ooh, or whatever. And, what has sort of come out as people investigate this incident is that it might have actually been a whole hoax. And the reason why is because DeFeo's lawyer, after losing the trial, had actually gotten with the Lutzes, um, and it was recorded actually, that over wine, they decided to embellish all of this so that they could make money, make another story, put their story out there, and like travel the world, right? And so, uh, you know, a lot of people believe it's a hoax, but the mystique of the movie has obviously carried this on into like cinema and it has become this big like thing, you know? And then when 
when Mr. DeFeo unfortunately passed away in 2021, there was renewed interest in it. And that's where we got that documentary, Miami Devil Horror. And if anybody who's ever seen it, they interview Daniel Lutz. One thing is very clear about Mr. Lutz. Uh, this incident had a profound effect on his life, almost like a trauma in some ways. And there is a lot of rage in this man. Like he's, he is a damaged, angry. damaged individual. Yeah. Yeah, it made me sad to watch it, but he clearly has a lot of rage against George Lutz, and he believes or- everything that happened. Yeah, but, but let's let's be honest here. Uh, so there are a couple of things you've left out too. Um, you've given oh, the I'm spooky sure. spooky. Your version. honor, your honor. I I'd like to object. Incomplete. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So let's go back to a few details. First of all, the strangeness of the gunshots in the house, and nobody would have heard it. They would have woken up. I believe now, Mr. Jose, you said that there was <laughs> yeah. no other person in that house. I believe um, some forensics uh, experts have come in and said, and uh, this this is part of the mystique, right? Nobody really knows what happens, right? But there's another element that there was something going on between the brother and sister. Uh, Deborah was the sister, and there's a theory that Deborah committed the murders, then handled handed the rifle over to the son and the son killed her. Uh, and the reason why the bodies are positioned the way they are is because the bodies were moved. And I think one of the forensics mm. um, provided that piece of evidence behind closed doors during the trial. The other thing is the very first person they reached out to um, when this new family moved in and said, oh, all these spooky things are happening is Stephen Kaplan. So they made a mistake, though, because Stephen Kaplan was a paranormal investigator, but he specialized in he was a vampirologist. So (laughs) he specialized in vampires and he was a director of the Vampire Research Center and Parapsychology Institute of America. But what had happened was they they were just honest with and said, yeah, we would love to investigate what's going on in your house. This is before, you know, Lorraine and everything else. But. You know, Stephen basically said, look, if we find something, we want to publish it as, you know, public information. But what I mean by that is if we find that it is haunted, we're going to share that information. If we find out that it's a scam, we're going to share that information. And next thing you know, they won't let him investigate. And so Mm -hmm. they said, nope, can't come to the house, can't do all this other stuff. So there's all these things. And and to your point, um, everybody kept changing their stories things just didn't exactly make sense. So you you basically have a true crime incident where an individual killed his entire family for whatever reason. The sister may or may not have been involved. That's out there as well. Um, another family comes in a year later to this house for whatever reason, takes advantage of that and tries to make a buck by saying it's haunted. And now it becomes this cultural phenomenon with a book uh, a film that spawns like 124 sequels and we're still talking about it today because I mean, let's, you know, as horrible as that incident is, it's the type of incident that America loves because they're, it, it's so sensational and it has all these what if scenarios throwing a little supernatural, you know, to the pot, man, it's like the coolest thing that came out in the seventies. Right. But it's yeah. all spawned from <laughs> probably one of the most horrific um, acts of murder because little kids were, were basically gunned down uh, at night at 3.15 in the morning. It, it's the cruelest thing ever. But now they make 124 movies out of it, right? It's crazy. 
And there was an insinuation also that later it had come out, and even Daniel Lutz says this, that George Lutz might have been interested in the occult, might have been curious about like Satanism, things like that. And that might have been the seed for, as you said, taking advantage of the Mm -hmm. true crime origin of this house and trying to make a buck or get notoriety from it. Yeah, and that, yeah. that documentary is really fine. But I, I want to caution everybody. If you go, because it's an IFC film, um, My Amityville Horror, if you go watch that documentary, uh, it is a fascinating, interesting look at a survivor of one of the craziest true crime slash media frenzy scenarios you can think of. But all of the supernatural aspects that he's pointing out is bullshit. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. This whole Amityville horror thing, 100% is bullshit. The people around it that made all the profit to it, to me is super fascinating. That documentary is fascinating because it is the side effect of when that bullshit takes, <laughs> if you want to talk about evil, the evil is what happened to that guy and, yeah. and him as a kid growing up. I mean, that is messed it's up depressing. to me. It's, it's not the ghost. It's not everything else, but it's what, George Lutz and everything happened to do to this kid and what this kid lived through and what this kid believes today. I mean, it, it's a very sad documentary and it's not to me, it's not scary. It actually represents like one of the most evil things that could happen in society is, is when you just mess your kids up, honestly. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this before we, you know, go into everything proper, but like uh, I think the exorcist was also based on a potentially true, you know, incident. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I can't think of any other horror franchise like this that starts from, well, maybe checks the chainsaw massacre too. Um, not two, but just the first one. Um, can, you think of any, <laughs> can you think of any other ones that sort of started from this kind of true crime that I mean, spawned a franchise? Just since we brought it up earlier, the conjuring, since all of those are based there on you go. warrants. Okay. Okay. But yeah, yeah. trying to think of other incidents. Like franchises? Yeah. Yeah, because if, if we're just limiting it to franchises, it is kind of hard. It, it yeah. is. And and keep in mind, Amityville, so The Exorcist came out in the early 70s, like 73. And mm-hmm. so Amityville Horror comes out a few years later in terms of novelization. And I don't think people even understand how influential The Exorcist was on, uh, you know, just the country in terms of getting everybody into a frenzy because it's based on a true story and Blady's novel was just such a, a runaway hit. And then here comes this horror film that, I mean, it's one of the, it, I think it's the only horror film to actually be nominated. Was it 11 or 13 Academy awards? I mean, yeah. it, it was crazy. And so, um, that frenzy just continued and you get stuff like Amityville horror as a result of that. Right. The omen as well is another one that I've always felt the not the same with the true story stuff but growing up with a mother who did not watch her like horror movies the three that i before that i remember her always talking about was exorcist amityville horror the omen and also taurus trap surprisingly enough i don't know how she stumbled upon (laughs) that one but taurus trap but the other three make sense one of these is not like the other (laughs) i know i just i don't know how taurus trap was one of the four she watched but but the other three do make sense specifically exorcist and amityville because they transcended the horror genre. Like it did. Yeah. Those are people who don't watch horror movies. Watch those. Right. 
Absolutely. And, and if, if you grew up Catholic, like myself, the exorcist yeah, is same. It's still the scariest movie ever made ever a hundred percent ever. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we live close it. to this exorcist steps. I will not visit those things for fear of getting possessed. So um, mm-hmm. I no have way. been on the steps and have not been possessed. If that makes you feel better, Troy, I <laughs> not even. So it's the same thing. As much as I think this whole Amityville horror crap is just BS, I will still not live in that house. <laughs> right. There are people who have lived in there since that have stated they have had experienced no supernatural elements, which also goes to the theory that it's BS. Yeah. But. Right. So the the film that Brad picked, though, has a special place in my heart of the entire series uh, for to be totally honest, because it comes at the time of the early 80s 3D craze. So Brad and, and Justin, you guys weren't around for this. So nope. this. This is when I'm 10 years old and um, I get to see my first 3D film. Actually, it was when I was nine, 1981. And it was a, a spaghetti Western called coming at you. I don't know if you guys have seen this. You gifted me I that have. actually. Oh yeah, that's right. I did give you a copy. I've seen the porn parody of that one. Oh, no. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Right after Amityville vibrator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jose, have you, have you watched this one? I have seen coming at you. My first 3D film was Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Yeah, there you go. So the 80s. So what happened was my dad took me out of school, Catholic school, to said, hey, Troy's got a doctor's appointment. We go to see coming at you. But that. Cool dad. Yeah, he was the best. So (laughs) that that movie itself kicked off this entire craze where in the early 80s, everything was getting a 3D sequel. Um, you had films like uh, Friday the 13th, Part 3 3D, Jaws 3D, um, Parasite, which I think was Demi Moore's first film. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then Charles off- Band directed yeah. that. Uh, M- Empire Pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You had Amityville 3D. You had other stuff like Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Um, Metal Storm was another big 3D science fiction one. Treasure of the Four Crowns, which is about the cheesiest 3D adventure film you could ever get. Um, Star Chaser, which was a cartoon 3D. But everybody was just raving about 3D, and it eventually led to IMAX kind of picking up the format and running with it with their documentaries in the mid-'80s to, you know, we get the, I would say, full theatrical experience in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? But Were I'm these the, the blue and red? glasses kind no so what what was interesting about this is not getting too technical it was i mean it was a polarized glass right but it was the early versions of it and and you got to keep in mind how big of a deal this was because even parasite i think was the second of the 3d films to get released it was billed as the first horror film to come out in 3d over 20 years because 3d was pretty dormant right from the 50s and 60s um it kind of ended uh, most of the sixties, none of the seventies had 3d and then boom, it comes back in the eighties. So while this was going on, television stations jumped on the bandwagon. They were releasing John Wayne films in 3d where you would go to the, you know, to the, in Kansas, it was the, the QT, the quicks top, and you would get the, the red and blue glasses for free and you'd watch creature from the black lagoon. So TV stations were pushing out old 3d content on televisions while you could see 3d in, in the movie theaters. So it, it was a pretty big deal for the kids of the eighties at that point. Yeah. The tech. So just long story short, cause I'm a cinematography nerd. Um, the anaglyph that was easiest for broadcast for film because they needed to cut costs. Ari vision. So there's a company called Ari 
and Aerie Vision 3D is what this was filmed in, Jaws 3, mm-hmm. Friday 13th was filmed in. And what they did was the projector actually would take the film, and if you think about it, it was a vertical, I'm sorry, it was a horizontal line across like the the one clip, right, of the film. And the top image would be the left, the bottom image would be the right. And when you ran it through the projector and wore the polarized views, then what your left eye would see is the top image, your right eye would see the bottom image, and you would use your own natural convergence of your eyesight to then see the 3D, okay? But the problem with that is that's what causes the headaches. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. as it's flipping through, there's actually a minute flicker, believe it or not, not that you can register it in your eyes, but the constant moving image of it is what causes the headaches. And then James Cameron obviously pioneered his Pace Fusion 3D system, which used two cameras with a close convergence, almost like the naked eye or the what you look at. And that birthed the new type of 3D where, you know, like, like real 3D, basically it's a different way of showing it so that even if you moved your head or looked at a different angle, you wouldn't get a distortion and less headaches. Yeah. And and I do specifically remember you would get scenes where a flashlight would kind of show directly at the camera in these older early eighties 3d. It it was almost a little painful. Um, and in these early 3d films, you could not sit and just walk back, you know, watch back to back. Um, so to Jose's, uh, point, uh, the audience at at some point said it's kind of cool, but you do you know people were prone to headaches as a result of yeah. it. So it was it's actually funny. torture. I love three D. <laughs> yeah. It is funny that you say that too, because Jose and I went to an event that Exum Films did a couple years ago in Philadelphia, where they took films like Friday Thirteenth Part Three and Three D and Treasure of the Four Crowns, and they did. There was a couple other ones. There was five movies in total, and they used newer three D technology, but you still saw these in three D, which was fun. But I am somebody who's prone to those headaches, and I was feeling it by the third film. Yeah, it's I I love them. And all of these films, we went to see it. I still have all of my 3D glasses. I never, I saw my Friday 13th because that's Friday 13th on the end. I, all of them, Parasite, saw them all. Awesome, uh, awesome. So I have every <laughs> every one of those. Uh, and and uh, this this was just an awesome time because it, it was basically taking <laughs> really a, a pretty cool technology and putting it onto films that probably without the 3D, are questionable, right? So, yes. however, Friday Thirteenth Part Three, that one's great, Friday, even without the 3D. Yeah, but even then, when I watch any of these films, there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor to it because it, it again, um, the emphasis on, hey, let me stick this thing at the camera so that the 3D works, right? I mean, that's kind of the fun part of these films. Yeah, but Brad, there were a ton of these that came out. Um, let's go back in time and let's find out how. Uh, Amityville 3D did when it was released. Yeah, so released November 18th, 1983 with a reported budget of $6 million. Its total domestic gross was 6.3, was not released internationally, so that math is easy for me. That is a $6.3 million return, so not great. Um, (laughs) It's opening weekend, it makes um, $2.366 million, which is good (laughs) enough for number one yeah it was number one when it came out yeah and it beats out films like the big chill a christmas story never say never again and a night in heaven oh and number six is all the right moves which should have been 3d you know tom cruise (laughs) coming right at you that is pretty dreamy (laughs) wait you said never say never again yeah the james bond yep 
So I think if I'm not wrong, that is, so there's a character named Felix Leiter mm-hmm. played by, um, I'm blanking on his name now. Great actor. Anyway, Bernie Casey was the first to play that character in Never Say Never Again, which itself was a bizarre, like rights conflict remake of Thunderball. Right. Very weird. Yes. Very weird. Um, Yeah, so not only is it a bomb financially, but critically, we're looking at 14% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 19% with the audience. Wow. That's with 10,000 reviews. So one in in five. We have four people here. So, Troy, I always like to see what happens. Um, (laughs) Sadly, sadly, there is no movie guide review. It's too oh, unholy to review. I know. I'm, I'm sad about it, too. But Amazon has some quality five-star reviews, so I picked out some of my favorites. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Elizabeth Thompson in 2013 wrote, I love this movie. It tells you the story about the house and the murders of his family. So if you like Amityville Horror, you need to get this one. You will like it. Okay. Yay, Elizabeth. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> This one is called Nostalgic, all caps. A very great old DVD film, very good for its day. Great for going down memory lane. It is easily obtained. Great value for money. Well, imagine this guy just yelling that at all. <laughs> As he's I typing wanna, it. I, I'm just going to start at every meeting that I'm talking. I'm going to say, great value for money. <laughs> That's why you should do it. Buy that for a dollar. Yeah. And uh, Gene Baker. Her review is called five stars and the text within the review is five stars. So those are the people <laughs> oh. reviewing quick and to the point. I like yeah. it. Well, it's kind of redundant, but you know, um, also films you could have seen November, 1983. We have deal of the century. Oh, Chevy chase running. Gordon Grave. Weaver. Yeah. Oh. Tests, uh, testaments. A film that'll make you feel really good. Star 80. Oh, boy. Oh. Uh, Bob Fosse. Yeah. Uh, a Christmas Story and the big one of the month, Terms of Endearment. Yeah. On its way to $108 million. Wow. My mom took me to see that. She had a lot of explaining to do to me. I can, I can <laughs> oh, sorry. Another a classic uh, hollow, er, horror film comes out that month, Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, um, Good one. Yeah, so that's all I got. Okay. Well, let's talk about the people who made the film and, and ended up in front of the camera. <laughs> I got to tell you, guys, when when you sit down and you look at the credits on paper, you're like, what the heck? There's some, there's some talent going mm-hmm. on here, right? So let's start. Big with, head scratching. Yeah. <laughs> with the director, Richard Fleischer. So I'm going to start with you, Justin. Do you, are you familiar with Richard and his work in general? So the name is familiar, but I'm honestly blanking on what else he would have done. So I could pull him up. Soylent Green. Have oh, you ever yeah. heard? Yes. Of Listen to oh. this list. Oh, he also did Conan Mandingo. the Destroyer, didn't he? Yeah. Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Holy! The Vikings. Fantastic voyage. Doctor Doolittle. Torah. 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 Um, Soyan Green, yeah, Mr. Majestic, Jazz Singer, Tough Enough, um, Conan the Destroyer, and Red Sonia. Well, uh, yeah, the the latter part of the career is kind of questionable. But but even, I guess maybe that explains Amityville 3D. But yeah, that's knowing where he was at coming into this, like, 
It's, it's such nuts. a surprise that he did this. He won an he's Academy a Workhorse director. He's, he is. He's a even then. Director. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He is an Academy Award winner um, for a documentary called Design for Death in 1947. He's also a Razzie nominee for Worst Director for the Jazz Singer in 1980. So he's worked both ends of, ends of the spectrum here. But man, what a career on paper. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, the screenplay. This gets interesting, too. David Ambrose, the, the only things that kind of pop up are some films that I had seen was the final countdown from 1980, Daryl from 1985 and uh, Daryl. Yes. Yeah. A Pierce Brosnan uh, flick uh, Taffin from 1988. So, yep. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but here's, but here's the other thing. I don't know if you, if you um, saw this, he wrote this movie under a pseudonym. Oh yeah, he did. So yeah, yeah. So William, I think it's called his pseudonym was William Wales or something like that. Yeah, he didn't use his real name on this. Uh, cinematography by Fred Schuler. I'm telling you, some of the things that he shot in the '80s, some of my favorites: Gloria, 1980, amazing mm-hmm. film, love that film. Uh, Stir Crazy, same year. Arthur in '81, The King of Comedy. So he shot a film for oh, Scorsese. I love that film. Easy Money, The Woman in Red, he shot Fletch, Haunted mm. Honeymoon, Armed and Dangerous. I mean, he has a he has a long filmography. This is the stuff he was doing in the 80s. It's yeah. fantastic. And, and okay, this one, if we're talking about people who had the best run in terms of credits, we got to talk about the editor, Frank Uriosti. Is that how you say his last name? Uriosti. Uriosti. Okay. He's banger one of my favorites. Banger. Listen, okay, yeah. Conan the Destroyer to Red Sonja. You're like, okay. Then we're going to The Hitcher in 86, RoboCop in 87, Die Hard in 88, Roadhouse in 89, Total Recall in 1990, Basic Instinct in 92, Keep Cliffhanger going. in 93, Tombstone in 93, Terminal Velocity in 94, Cutthroat Island in 95. So we've obviously talked about them before. Lethal Weapon 4 in 98, which is an amazing film if you stop it 15 minutes before it ends, because there's no way they would have ever beat Jet Li. And then yes. Deep Blue Sea in 1999. That list. And don't forget is, Executive Decision. Oh, too. Executive Decision. Yeah, which is another great movie because Steven Seagal dies in the first 15 minutes. Um, that man, I, I, I seriously feel like, listen, if Troy or Brad or, or I, if we were to make a movie they would look a lot like and be edited a lot like how Frank Uriosti edits his films because he just, I mean, it's like, it's like he created the language of the action film yes. in the eighties. You know, he's, he's fantastic. I see his name and I'm like, he's one of my favorite editors ever, honestly. A- absolutely. Um, you can't talk about a horror film without talking about special effects, right? So special effects coordinator on this was Michael Wood now, he had worked on some classics like Poltergeist, Twilight Zone, the movie, Inner Space. Uh, I find these titles interesting, Death Wish for the Crackdown, and Edward Scissorhands. So he's worked for Tim Burton. The special effects supervisor was Jeff Jarvis. This is crazy. So Exorcist II, The Heretic in 77. So he did effects for that. Any Which Way You Can in 1980, the sequel to Every Which Way But Loose, which is a classic. Um, we will never talk about that film because it was a box office hit and, uh, I don't care what the critic says. If it's not hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes, I don't, I don't, the internet's wrong. Um, <laughs> Poltergeist and Blue Thunder, which will, that, that title is going to come up again. So he worked on that in 83, 
And obviously a classic we've talked about, um, Justin, you've talked about this already, Howard the Duck in 86. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the cast. I'm really curious about Oh wait, about one you. last person. Yeah, go ahead. One last person. Of course. So John who? Caglione. It, John Caglione what? Jr. No, who? What did he do? <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I figured John Caglione, the limo driver at Amityville 3D was. No, go. He's one He's one of the special makeup designers. And he is a classic, classic makeup guy. He studied with Dick Smith, who oh. did the special effects for, you know, like The Exorcist yes. and Hunger. Um, here are some his some of his films as make, special makeup effects or makeup designer. Okay. Um, we have. Do you do the um, Joker makeup? Uh, possibly. Okay. He was makeup department head for uh, The Dark Knight, I believe. Okay. Um, but he... Uh, Friday 13th part two, he was an assistant basket case, the hunger Ooh. chud, um, <laughs> Manhunter, my demon lover, poltergeist three, the blob Dick Tracy. He was a special makeup designer. So the, yeah, the man, the man knows his stuff. He's, he's a legend. Yeah. That makeup in Dick Tracy is astounding. It is fantastic. Uh, more people need to watch Dick Tracy. That movie's I agree. so good. It, yeah, he is. He was the credited makeup artist for Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Yeah. Boom. Well, look at you go, Brad. <laughs> you stumped Jose. I can't. Yeah. Oh, that. I just. Yeah, whatever. Well, listen, I'm glowing right now. Can we all just agree that on paper, the people behind the camera, I mean, this is some spectacular stuff. Maybe not the, the, the screenplay, but everything else from a technical perspective, there's some talent that, here, right? Yeah, an amazing yeah. pedigree behind the film and somewhat in front of it as well. But. Yeah. What could go wrong? It, is it though? Let's, let's talk about the people in front of the movie. I mean, there's one person I think is pretty freaking amazing on here. We've talked about her before, but let's start with let's start with Tony Roberts as John Baxter. Uh, I know him from his work with Woody Allen, as yep. well as a, a horror movie he did in '91 called Popcorn. Um, outside of popcorn. that, yeah, I, I I just I know who he is, but I probably know him from from those. But I don't know what you your guys's experience with him primarily is yeah, or, or I mean, if he's a favorite of yours. Annie Hall, Serpico, he's done a lot of like TV. To me, he's like he's like a a better looking Ron Perlman with acting chops. <laughs> Hold up a second. He, Hold up a second. Ron Perlman is already a good looking enough Ron Perlman. Oh, sir. I know, but if Ron Perlman had like more traditional features, he would look a lot like Tony Robbins. And like a weird <laughs> afro. Yeah. yeah, he does. He's got oversized ears and like just oversized features, period. Um, I was going to say, if, if Ron looking, Perlman but... and Dumbo had a baby, you would probably get <laughs> <God>. Tony Roberts. <laughs> I don't. Hey, look, I'm not sitting here. Look, I, dude, I'm I have a voice for radio, so I'm nothing to look at. But <laughs> oh, stop, dude, my stop. my ears at least are at a normal you know, he can't help the size of his ears, Troy. Scotch tape, dude. Just yeah, his ears. Like I said, oversized Scotch features. Tape. He's a good character actor. Let's just say. Yeah. Hey, look, yes. I I loved him in Stardust Memories. Uh, out of all the Woody Allen films, I mean, he's been a lot. I really liked him in Stardust Memories. But I I think he's a great actor. Um, yeah. but he he you will remember him. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For a second, I thought we were still talking about Ron Perlman. I'm like, Perlman was in Stardust mm-hmm. Memories. I don't oh remember. no no no. Um. Let's talk Tess Harper. Uh, boy, <laughs> 1983, this lady, there wasn't a part she didn't like. Listen, this is 1983 only. Kentucky Woman, Starflight, The Plane That Couldn't Land, which I think was a TV film, Tender Mercies, Chiefs, which is another TV property, 
Amityville 3D and Silkwood, all those in 1983. She's done a lot of film and TVs, but uh, TV, you know, shows. She was working hard that year, and I think that might have been her first year coming out of the gate too as an actress. Yeah, she it plays Jesse Pinkman's mom. She's Diane Pinkman in Breaking Bad. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. But you wouldn't know that Troy because you've never seen it. Well, you've uh, never watched Breaking Bad? No. Yeah, we've we've yeah we've, I've we've watched been over it. This. And I barely watched television. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Sorry, I'm but yeah, another. Tess Harper's another great character actor who she's one of those women where like you see her and you're like, oh, she was in that thing that I've seen that was came out last week or whatever. So she's she's been around. I think she's a great actress. I'm still wondering what the hell she's doing in this picture, but whatever. She was in Walker, Texas Ranger, Troy, on the episode called Sons of Thunder. Oh, which son was she? I don't know. I don't know if she had AIDS or not. But. Okay. <laughs> no, I, knew, I knew where this was going. It. I was waiting for wait, the wait, AIDS wait. joke. Wait, we covered this. Sons of Thunder was the, that was the backdoor pilot to the spinoff for Walker. Remember, we did this in the Chuck Norris episode. That's right. We did. Yeah. Okay. Brad just wanted to make an AIDS joke and you yeah. had to get technical. <laughs> no, I love it. Full circle. It all came around. Yeah. I, um, I will say this about Tess Harper, though. What was very distracting to me was she looks and sounds exactly like my family doctor to the point where I sent a clip to my mother and she's like, that's almost spot on. So it was very distracting watching this. So your family your doctor can't act either, huh? No. Okay. Oh my um, God. And she also believes in floating or no, she doesn't. Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about another person that has a lot of credits to their name. It's Robert Joy. Now he plays mm. Elliot West, the parapsychologist, as well as apparently the family counselor. Uh, he was pulling double duty. Um, oh, yeah. 140 acting credits for television and, he's and still film. still doing it. He still he's is going still strong. Still doing it. Yeah. Water, he was in Waterworld, Choi. Yeah, he was in Waterworld. I mean, it's there's a there's a lot of stuff to list. This guy again loves acting because he's in everything. Uh, the person that I was, I don't know, just a, I was so excited because I totally forgot she was in this film, and she's one of my favorites, Candy Clark as Melanie. Yes. So we've love, talked about her. Love Candy Clark a couple of times because we've reviewed the blob. So she was the one that I think she gets eaten in the phone booth, which was yep. really sad. Um, she's and in she's the diner lady. Fran. Yeah. But the two films that I will always remember her from is American. She's also in Zodiac. By the yep. Way. Zodiac. Uh, American graffiti in 73 and then blue mm. thunder in 83. I probably remember her more from blue thunder for some reason, because I love that film. As you remember well, her from Cool as Ice. Cool, uh, she was oh, yeah. in Cool as Ice. But yes. as good as Cool as Ice was, it was no, you know, Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder was the bomb, man. Wasn't she Buffy's mom in on she the was, Buffy? Yes, okay. she was Buffy's mom. She was. Yeah. Yep. Kiss noise. Yes. <laughs> but Blue Thunder is what <laughs> you should take. If you haven't and seen Blue Thunder. And the man who fell to earth. The man who fell to earth is probably and, how. And Blue probably. Thunder, which and I know Blue I'm playing Thunder. into a joke now, but With it is Roy Schreider. a film. So. Yeah. Roy Schreider and Candy Clark start in Blue Thunder. You got to yeah. see it, man. Um, Candy, Candy Clark is like Nancy Allen. She has her own personality yes. and she brings she brings this energy to each one of her roles that you just, you can't help but love her. And even in this, she's like all spunky and yay, the much heralded novel you're writing the, no you know, and then she dies a horrible death. So whatever. <laughs> but yes. But have you still, seen cool as ice or blue thunder? Cool 
Uh, First she- of all, the chicken scene in Blue Thunder is the one that gets me all the time when the when the chickens all fall on that guy. But she, again, she's spunky. She's diving into dumpsters. She's got the videotape, and yeah. she's she's so cute and she's gorgeous. And I love her. I love her. A hundred percent. I had a crush on her. So um, <laughs> next, Lori Laughlin, yeah, Susan Baxter. Yeah. Most will know her from Full House's Becky. Now. At this time, when From she was pleading doing- guilty to conspiracy <laughs> to commit fraud, exactly. Yeah, I had so many she's... jokes written when I was she's watching. Got a, she's got a little. She's she's got a history now, but back then she was doing films like Amityville 3D, The New Kids, Secret Admirer. I feel she peaked at this next one, 1986's Rad. I don't think she ever yes. got as uh, in terms of acting as, as better as Rad. But yeah, she's she's. Made the news well, she, a little bit. She carved out a Hallmark career with that series. Um, yeah. When Calls the Heart. So, uh, <laughs> Well, she's got to pay some bills now. Um, yeah. I, she's still working, though, isn't she? Or has she been black? So Hallmark is going to bring her back after she, after she got out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> that wind is definitely calling. Oh, yeah. it's uh, I, I hope I hope she, you know. I don't know. I, yeah. I have no sympathy for people like this who um, do the system the way that she did. But, hey, we're talking about films, not. Right. right. And I will I will also go to bat for the new kids. It's yes. that's a pretty savage sort of like good. gritty grindhousey. Very creepy in spots because yeah. Spader's in that. Uh, correct. James Spader. Yeah. yeah. With the with the albino hair. And ugh, <laughs> yeah, the the <laughs> other big surprise here is Meg Ryan as Lisa plays uh, Susan's yeah. friend. Now, I think that was one of her first, was that her first? It was her first, right? I think it was her first uh, film role. She was doing some television yeah, before that because she went from Amityville 3D, did some television into to to 1986's Top Gun. Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> oh, okay. And Armed and, and Dangerous armed that and year. And yeah, but space. Top Gun. Space. Yeah, that was a year later. But Top Gun, she's in Top Gun. <laughs> Plays Goose's wife, which is probably the most American film from the 80s. And we all agree on that. If we can't, suck it. Um, Please. So, Jose, any other actors, actresses that suck you want to. Suck it with love. Yeah. Yes. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I'm trademarking that. <laughs> you, you should. Um, uh, no, no, I don't. Well, he has a very minor part in it, but there's a gentleman named Peter Kowanko. 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 Um, yeah, he's the blonde. Uh, when Lori Laughlin, Meg Ryan, and has the two guys over and they're doing the seance with the glass. I know what he's from. I know what he's from. Solar Babies. Solar Babies. Yep. Um, <laughs> I forget. So, I, I watched that thing. Yeah. Yep. And Date with an Angel. I always conflate him with John Terleski, but they're 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 both blonde. That's about it, right? But they but they both were big character blonde actors in the eighties doing all kinds of films. So yeah, but he was the only other one that I would mention because I was like, I know that guy he's from solar babies. Well, we don't so. talk about solar babies anymore since we talked about it. Cause it's so terrible. So <laughs> I'm kidding, Brad. I love solar babies. <laughs> Thank of you, course Jose. you do. So Jose. Good. Of course you so do. A uh, little bit of trivia about the film. And so John Baxter, that's the um, Tony Roberts character. He is loosely based on Stephen Kaplan. He's the guy that we talked about that was the paranormal investigator vampirologist. Um, and he was a prominent skeptic of the Amityville horror hauntings. I think he wrote a book about it as well. Harold and Emma Caswell characters are based on Ed and Lorraine Warren. So those are your two old couple that was, you know, 
trying to do the scam at the beginning of the film. <laughs> and lastly, I don't know if you guys knew this. So on a lot of the print uh, that is associated with this film, movie poster, uh, all the public relations, et cetera, there's a lot of statements about this not being a part of the Amityville canon, having anything to do with the Amityville story. So here's what happened. Due to a lawsuit between the Lutz family and Dino De Laurentiis over the storyline, which did not involve the Lutz family, Amityville 3D was not initially promoted as a sequel. That's why it doesn't say Amityville 3, it's just Amityville 3D. And the name Lutz is never used in the film. However, the film does make a reference to the original Amityville horror story. So if you look at any of the old stuff related um, to this movie when it was first released, you'll see this line that just says, has nothing to do with the other Amityville movies. So they, they yet, which I the don't house. believe is in the other 40 some director video sequels we've gotten since. I, yeah. I think Amityville Karen is really leaning into the fact that it's a, <laughs> the 122nd sequel to the first. Amityville uh, Karen. She wants to talk to the manager. Yeah. Go watch that trailer. It's quite, I didn't believe it until I saw the trailer and I'm like, Oh yeah, this is not a joke. Um, what? It, it exists. <laughs> Uh, how about we take a quick break and we come back. We actually get mm -hmm. in to talk about the films. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Sounds great. All right, let's do that. We'll be back. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed and all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. What was the incredible secret of the Crypt of the Living Dead? She's smart. 700 years smart. And she ain't about to get sealed up again. Crypt of the Living Dead. Kill me. Put this stake in my heart. Doomed to die one by one. Victims of the Killer Queen. You need more blood. Well, here I am, Anna. Why don't you try me? Crypt of the Living Dead. This tomb must weigh three times. Don't. She's in there. Watch the fantastic horror of Crypts of the Living Dead. Rated PG. Remember the rain, the thunder, the lightning. That's how it begins. That's how it ends. And that's why you'll never forget what happened in that house in Amityville. I went into that house, and what I saw there was real! The Amityville Horror, the best-selling book, is now the motion picture that warns you from the very beginning. From American International, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Okay, we are back. Justin, you're the new kid on the block. Okay. We get to start with you. 
right. Uh, I'm going to assume this was Start not Start hanging tough. Yeah. You, you, was this <laughs> your first time watch? I should, I should ask that. Second time. So I do own this on VHS, and I would have watched this well, probably over 10 years ago at this point. But it's the first time that I've seen it. I watched it on HBO Max, so in a good print, because I know my VHS copy was beat up. Don't know if that would have changed too much, if I'm being honest. Uh, I want to be positive about the film, though, first. There are a few elements I liked. Um, there are two sequences in general, without spoiling anything, that I think were kind of creepy. Uh, there's a charred corpse in this, in that whole sequence, and the shot of that corpse. Terrifying. Yep, I agree. There is a moment where a character is wandering around a house, but we don't believe that she's actually there. And even though Tess Harper, even I'm going to agree with Troy, isn't the best actor, that <laughs> scene still resonated as a good dramatic beat. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of this film, one is either rehashing not just Amityville stuff, but your generic hauntings that you expect, doors opening and creaking, goes heavy on the flies. Uh one point even doing it in 3d which having not seen it in 3d like my co-host jose i will say it's still fun to watch films like this in friday 13 part 3d in 2d just because you get to see oh this is the spot that was supposed to be in 3d but there's also just so many elements that are way too campy and it's a film that's still somewhat trying to take Camp- itself seriously when you say campy campy good campy bad so like in this campy case, intentionally I think campy bad because i don't feel like they lean into the camp as much as they should if you're oh, going to have okay. it there because there's a good build of this that still feels like it's trying to take itself semi seriously trying to get you uh enticed and intense and i just feel like it really shits the bed so many times and when you get to that final act which is where it just goes corn overload it it takes possible good effects like there's a spot of a woman coming out of a well that at first is really terrifying but then when we come back to it the final effect does not look good and that final act also feels incredibly rushed because i remember pausing when it started i'm like we only have 15 minutes left it does not feel like we're at the end here and then they're just like well let's just get to the finish line quick Okay. All right. Uh, so not a fan is what you're saying. Some good, no. some good parts, but not, a, not. A, okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm curious about you, Brad. And only, only because full disclosure, um, we're going to talk spoilers here. A kid dies. So one of my notes were, Oh shit, a kid <laughs> dies. Brad's going to love this thing, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, so your, your opinion is the one I'm kind of waiting on the edge of my seat for. Yeah, so I don't know about you guys, but I think my leash for horror films is probably the longest when it comes to any genre of film. Like, I I don't really ask a whole lot of of horror films, and like I unabashedly love Halloween three. I love Chopping Mall. I love stuff like that, as well as some of the most scary stuff in the world. Um, so I, I I could run the gamut of this stuff, and I I want it to be either cheesy fun scary whatever um i sat down and and watched this and of course there's the opening scene where they kind of expose the people of being sort of fraudulent and i oh and and just to say i had uh i'd never seen this one before to be perfectly honest with you i thought Um, you had seen this i had not um i thought i did but once i started watching it i was like i've never seen this before because i would remember meg ryan and and Lori laughlin um um, big shout out to you, uh, Orion pictures, uh, logo at the very beginning too. got to shout that out. I love seeing mm-hmm. that, but 
Justin kind of hinted at it. Like this movie meanders for uh-huh. an hour and 30 minutes and then it completely rushes the final 15 minutes, like where they're getting to the cool stuff and they rush right through it. Um, I kind of thought this movie was hot trash, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> this was really hard to get through. I was leaving this weekend for a wedding, so I had to watch this um, earlier than I wanted to. And I watched it Thursday night. And by Friday, I had completely forgot pretty much everything about it. Um, and I kind of had to watch it again a little bit on Friday as I was kind of winding down uh, the workday. And it's just so terrible. Like, there's nothing in it that's scary. The special effects, like, they spent $6 million. I expect there to be something. Special effects are really bad. Now, I do like the the woman burns alive in the car. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But did you like see the seat that she's sitting in? And it's like, that's a leather seat and the seat's perfectly fine. That's not how fire works. It's a, um, it's candy Clark. It's not just a woman. It's well, candy whatever. Clark. Okay. Candy Clark. <laughs> well, she was unrecognizable when she became a charred corpse. Yeah. I can recognize candy Clark's charred corpse. <laughs> I was wow. distracted by the random truck driver yeah, the, the, who just yeah. caught her and then had this nonplussed reaction to this charred corpse reaching out to him. He's just like, Oh, so, so me, like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, this like, charred corpse is going to get up and like walk out of the car or do something. No, it just sits there. You're like, okay, cool. That nothing happens. Um, I guess that's kind of my overall synopsis of this movie is like nothing happens until the house falls down though. I will say if they would have killed someone with the Marlin, I probably would have bumped this up to like a half a star. But it, unfortunately, it does not. Was that, was that the Marlin with the Marlin? Was that yeah. the Marlin hanging on, on the a piece wall, of rope yeah. that was clear yeah. that it was hanging yeah, on, a piece, on a piece okay. of rope? Yes. There's a lot of strings and there's a lot of uh, weird sort of effects that are terrible. Uh, the, the the purple floating uh, yeah. thing. What is that? Uh, um, I can't hear anything anymore now. So like I had to watch everything with subtitles and like it says like mom I'm, I'm come get me or something i'm like this is not scary no this is scary <laughs> it's not and it's not cheesy enough to like be cheesy because it's mm-hmm. just awful so yeah man i pretty much hated every second of this um it it's weird how amateur it is and then you see like everyone involved you're like this should not be this sort of b-level do you do you that think it it's because they were getting caught up? So is this is this a film that at its core could have been good had it not been designed as sort of a 3D thrill ride? Or uh, was it was it just kind of bad? I to don't know, with? man. Like I like I like Friday the 13th 3D. Like I like uh my bloody Valentine 3D. I like those things. I'm not expecting a 3D movie to like really scare me. Just put some stuff in my, <laughs> put some stuff in my face. <laughs> oh my god! And suck it with love. <laughs> and suck it with love. Uh, yeah. Um, you want to just take that snippet right there? I have just listen. That put put yeah. it in my face. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I got it. We we have it on digital now. Whew, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna get out on this. And this this movie's not good. Okay. Oh boy, Jose. They do I, kill a kid though. They do kill the kids. That's why I thought I'm like, man, as soon as that happened, I don't know. I don't know where Brad's going to land on this, but uh, all right, Jose, I'm so curious. 
I, so actually, you know, Brad, I think um, Brad and I feel the same way. Like if you kill a kid in a movie, you know, points, right? You almost got, uh, canceled, almost got canceled because of that. God, yes, you guys I are, almost got canceled because you guys are it almost seemed I, like I was advocating for killing kids, but I, I feel like <laughs> both movies, of you are. Movies, really... guys. Hey guys, they're not real. Li- <laughs> hey, I hate to tell you, but they're movies. They're not real life. They're just movies. Sure. Yes. sure. Okay. Oh, um, sorry. Go ahead. So, so with this movie, um, I had seen it in the theaters. I had seen it on cable. I did own a copy of it on VHS, just like Justin. I bought the out of print shout factory set that had a 3d Blu-ray of Amityville 3d. Um, so just for the curious listeners, since I spent a shit ton of money getting that set, it's very expensive. Um, the at home 3d presentation is awful. It's fraught with, uh, ghosting and aliasing and, and some of the effects were work, but it's only like a quarter of the beyond the window effects work. Everything else. It's like kind of ghosty and stuff like that. So, How did the purple orb look in 3d? That actually looked okay. As okay. did the, um, the fire effect when the, when, uh, Robert joy gets his face blown. Uh, How about off. the 16 tree branches during the credit sequences that they were oh sticking my out? God. How did that actually, look? It actually looked really good. Okay. <laughs> My favorite was the boom. The boom mic was the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. But um, so I I remember having fond memories of this horror film. Um, and just like Brad, you know, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a, a wide leash to a genre film like this and give it a chance. And it it actually starts out pretty good by you know fooling the audience into thinking it's a haunting experience, but in fact they're you know just trying to debunk it like the X Files. He works for a magazine, but then it gets into the he's having a divorce, so why don't I just buy the haunted house, right? Which is so weird, like as a plot point. So he moves in. I'll show that then, bitch. I'm gonna get into real estate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then I swear to God, I thought they were going to reveal that Meg Ryan had been stopping Tony Roberts. And that's why they broke up because she, when she comes in, she's like practically like licking the doorway, staring at him, you know, or whatever. And it just seemed like she was into Tony Roberts. Um, I would but, not be you know, surprised seen if that, that was bro? on the cutting room floor. <laughs> have you seen that fro? She wants that D yeah. and those ears. Yeah. Dang, she wants big the, ears. Um, but, but like Brad said, you know, it's got to thrill me. And quite honestly, there are cheap scares. Nothing. Ha- a lot doesn't happen. If there is a 3d effect, it's really just something stupid, like a glass flying or a flashlight all up in your face. Um, and I feel like what masquerades as dialogue is, just essentially the pop culture zeitgeist surrounding all of this. Right. So in every scene, there's a discussion. Could it really be a ghost? No, it couldn't be a ghost. There's a rational explanation for everything. And and literally every scene and dialogue is based around that when bodies aren't being burned and objects aren't flying through the, through the air. Um, so it, it kind of is unfortunately a slog to get through. Um, and, and I think, Cannily enough, they sort of take some of the best parts of the Amityville mythos and put it in there. So we do have somebody dying with the flies like the priest did in the first movie. We do get, you know, ghosts and, you know, uh, uh, could it be 
my loved one coming back or something like that. But whereas the second film, Amityville 2, The Possession, seemed like a ripoff of The Exorcist, this one seems more like a, a ripoff of like Poltergeist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, like the hearing the voices, there's a family member who succumbs. I think you need to house... apologize to Poltergeist. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if and you then said the house it was turns closer... against them. If you said it was closer to Poultry Geist, um, <laughs> yes. yes, that if film. If it was as fun as Poultry Geist, I think we'd be I having know. a different yeah, story. Lloyd Kaufman's probably closer to this than the Steven Spielberg joint. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but I have, but and then you know, and then it seems like Poltergeist because the house, which always gets in this movie in particular, the house really they're trying to build it up as an actual character in some ways, and so when it finally unleashes and attacks everybody. That whole sequence and the physicality and the stunts of stuff flying around, I actually kind of dug that. And the 3D looked really good, too. Um, it's weird that they're saying it's not really a sequel because I swear to God, the monster that comes out of the well looks a hell of a lot like the demon that's revealed at the end of Amityville um, to the possession. Like, it it literally looks the same and it has the three claws or whatever, so, um, but yeah, everything seems really rushed and then the house blows up and then the movie's over. So it's, yeah, it's, um, it's really bad. Even wow. somebody like me can't find something good in this other than Candy Clark. She's a joy to watch yes. through all of this. She's pretty fantastic. I'm shocked, Jose. I am shocked. Yeah. Oh, I, and love, by the I way, love when we find something that Jose doesn't like. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> did you, did you um, see any of the special features? Because when um, they make this whole thing about how like there's cold spots and then obviously uh, the windows are icing up and stuff like that. But you know how like the it's blowing on them and they're getting like frost on them. It's wax. Yeah. Apparently it's like hot wax that they were like (laughs) blowing. And I can't, I'm like, couldn't she have like sued if you breathe hot wax into your lungs? I mean, I can't imagine she could have died, but Uh, anyway, you gotta work for your art, you know, you gotta artist pain, man. Who, ab- exactly. who among us hasn't been hot, had got hot wax on us before? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know, right? Mm-hmm. Haven't we no. all? So. Yeah. Well, anyway. uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 a Troy. You haven't lived. Yeah. I apparently have not. No. <clears throat> well, next it's time, a, time a, it, take me out to dinner one time, Troy. Maybe I'll. <laughs> oh, Domino's has that sack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired, uh, Troy. What what did you on the breadsticks. <laughs> what What was the stat, Brad? You said twenty five percent. Uh, it's 19%, one in five. Okay. Um, well, all three of you are wrong. Oh, yeah. I, I could God tell Danny Troy by how he was acting that that was going to come. <laughs> Did you cry this one too? Shut up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, this is a movie and some stuff kind of happens in front of the camera and people keep sticking stuff into the camera because it's 80s 3D film. And like I said before, I got it. I got a soft spot for that, but. <laughs> one one thing I've come to realize, and, and I don't know how you guys feel, this is an example to me, it's a great example of why 80% of mainstream horror movies uh, don't resonate with people who are past maybe their 30s, who have kids, maybe own a home. I, I, I don't think 80% of the horror films Uh, Once you get a certain point in life are for you and you can find much enjoyment out of it. Uh, This this really is geared and I would say 80 percent of the horror films are geared towards the teenage crowd or or the early 20s. Right. 
Just my opinion. I don't know what you guys think about that. I did see this when I was in my late teens, early twenties, and I didn't like it. If that's what you're getting at, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm not grading it on the quality of it. I, I would look at it this way: that this is a film that is designed for that group um, or that demographic. And here's why I say that. You, yeah, uh, I can see that. Let, let me it's lay also this rated out. PG. Yeah, well, well, even even the PG thirteen, and I would say even some of the R stuff. Uh, I, 80% of the mainstream horror films go for a specific demographic. I think when you get past a certain age, horror movies are harder to like, and they're harder to get into. Here's why. Here's at least my reasoning for it. Um, there are things that happen in the film that at a certain age, you start thinking about those things and it totally takes you out of the film for me. So here's a, an example. Uh, as I'm watching the film, and you get past the whole, oh, you didn't get a home inspection on this before you bought this house. That's exactly that's the first thought. I said, how did this house pass a home inspection with a big <laughs> ass it. well I at the it. bottom of the basement? <laughs> and they just cover it with boards. That is yeah. the most unsafe thing I've ever seen a homeowner do. <laughs> I and, like where this went. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, look, th- this house isn't selling because of some past murders. It's not selling because it has a big ass hole in the basement that you it just can't pass inspection. So even if you wanted to buy it no you can't buy it it's it's well, the home insurance on it would be way too much anyway because you oh, have we'll get liability. there in a minute we'll get there in a minute <laughs> so as soon as that happens i'm like jesus this this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen um then why doesn't anybody have a freaking fly swatter <laughs> <laughs> i mean a these flies are just on strings somebody's like with a fishing pole up there dangling it but you know take that for a second but there's flies everywhere, and it's like, just get a fly swatter, kill it. I, what's or, the big deal? Spray, bug spray. Spray, anything. <laughs> then I'm like, well, can a swarm of flies kill you? Yeah, so I pause the film, what... and I start to Google, <laughs> can a swarm of flies? Ah. <laughs> Apparently they can um, because it, it, ha- it takes a lot of them, and when they bite you, they inject something in you that causes swelling, and it, over time it can stop you know, Damn. blood flow and stuff like that. So I learned that. Um, and then – you made a good point, Jose, that when when things aren't happening, right, which there's not a lot that happens in the first 45 minutes, but when the not a lot of things that aren't really not happening, happening, uh, they're talking about, well, is it a ghost? Is it this? And then they start doing the typical research thing and you come to find out that, oh, it's the devil. No, wait, it's the Indians. And so I was confused, like, is it the devil that's scaring people or ancient Indian spirits because they start bringing up, you know, the whole hollowed ground thing. Um, And then I'm like, well, is the devil and and the Indians and cahoots together? What's going on here? And then I started thinking, wait a second, if you start looking at this through like 2022 lens, like through that perspective, um, that's some, that's a lot of racist shit right there. Like why are you Indian ghosts? Why are they responsible for all the bad stuff? Um, I, to me, that's pretty racist. So that mm-hmm. that's where my thought went on that one. And then you've already kind of talked about Meg Ryan. Like what, what, what is Meg Ryan doing here? First of all, it's not, it's not the whole dad complex thing that got me. Why do you want to have sex with a ghost to begin with? Um, you have no idea what kind of STDs like a ghost carries around <laughs> from the crabs? afterlife. I don't Super know what naturally ghost crabs transmitted are like. disease. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what if you do get pregnant? Like how would hey, could, they I, deliver hey, a t- ghost time baby? Out, time out. What? Time out. 
Justin just added a great STD joke. I want to make sure. <laughs> what what was that? What was that? Supernaturally transmitted disease. Okay, yes. there you go. Okay, good. Supernaturally <laughs> transmitted disease. You. Okay. So you have that to deal with. Then if you get pregnant, how do they deliver a ghost baby? <laughs> and then let's say that you do deliver a ghost baby. And how does the ghost dad like pay for it? How is he financially, <laughs> fiscally responsible for this thing? Are, are ghosts pro-life or pro-choice? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, that would come how up as well. How do you know when the baby shits? I don't know. And do well, you, would it be trans? Like, would we see the shit coming out? You would smell it, it. There would be more flies. And if you don't would have it come a fly out swatter, ectoplasm? possibly. These are good questions, Troy. Thank I know. You. So then the house <laughs> thing happens and I'm like, holy shit, is that guy insured? Um, <laughs> and then how's he? Okay. How are you going to explain this to the insurance agency that all of a sudden a door like took this chick out and pushed her through that, which was kind of a cool stunt, but Dude, um, that was a pretty cool stunt. <laughs> are you liable for any? Oh, so here's my thing. You bought a house that has a big ass hole in it to begin with. And so I I also have an insurance license too. the first thing I would be like, we're not liable for any of those deaths because you have a house with a big ass hole in it that you just put boards on top of it. So any mishap that occurs, we're not paying a claim. Um, <laughs> and if anything, we're just going to raise your premium. Like, well, Troy, you know. You're not getting home insurance on that house. Therefore, the bank isn't giving you a loan on it. So he's you not have to have home insurance to get a house like that. And yeah, he's uh, not what, what, what kind of premium are you paying when you have a big ass hole in your basement? I don't know. But All those people were invitees. There's liability. Did There's they sign liability. something? I, I, I don't know. The, the, again, this. examples of me. So they're like vampires. If you invite them in, they're, they're not liable. <laughs> they're not liable. <laughs> the vampire loophole. Um, <laughs> yes. No, but, yes, uh, but in all seriousness, insurance loophole. when you get to a certain point, and, and this is why I would champion something um, like Barbarian that came out this year. I love Barbarian. Saw that recently. Why the Exorcist, I think, holds up. Um, the original Amityville Horror, I mean, we've kind of talked about how amazing that 4K is. But if you think about that film, what's really interesting, outside of the murders that occur that set off the plot nobody dies in the film outside of the murders. It is a things go bump in the night and the family gets cabin fever. And I find what is really interesting with that too, is the events that happen in the first Amityville horror, the characters are isolated and they're going through their own events. And then it soon accumulates to all of them having the same experiences. When that occurs, they're like, let's get the hell out of here but it has a natural progression that makes sense. That doesn't really insult your audience. And it feels like it is made um, for adults. This film is made for teenagers and people in their twenties, maybe renters. I don't know who'd understand how the home process works. <laughs> um, but it, I, I think this is exemplary of most, uh, again, most horror films, 80% of them to where they're geared towards a very spe specific demographic that isn't going to ask those questions. That doesn't have those life experiences to kind of know, oh, hold on a second, what's going on here? Um, and, and again, that's just one of the little aha moments I had watching this thing. And I, I really start to appreciate the other 20%, like Nightmare on Elm Street, even though it's about teenagers, et cetera, I, I love that film because it establishes its rules and its logic and it sticks to them. Um, and even when it goes off the course a little bit, it, um, I don't know. It, it, the performances in the story are so good that you can forgive some of those logic or loopholes in a horror film. But 
I, I, I would say, and you guys can call me crazy because I would put it out there. I, I just, I think this is just another typical horror film. And I'm not saying the seventies, eighties, nineties are better, worse, anything. I'm just saying pick a decade, 80% mm -hmm. of them are going to go for this demographic and 20% are going to be a much smarter, mature piece of work. I'd agree with that. I'd say calling this another horror film would be an upgrade. <laughs> hey, look, I don't, I don't think it's, I've seen worse. I've seen, I way. will say I've seen a couple of the later Amityville sequels, not the more recent ones. And this is better than like the evil escapes and curse. I had, I saw the trailer for Amityville Karen, and this is an Academy award winning film compared to that trailer. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's got a cheesiness to it. Justin, you're spot on the, the two things that I wrote down of my favorite things of this film, I think they're really good mm -hmm. is Candy Clark's death scene. Not just some woman in a car, Brad. Um, <laughs> and very condescending. It, it, I was being condescending. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the sequence with the daughter's ghost walking up to the room with this creepy smile while, you know, events are going on outside of it. I thought that was, Oh, that's not just some effective. girl. Troy. That's Lori Laughlin. <laughs> no, it's just some girl. Cause she's, she's not as good as candy. Cl candy Clark's acting circles. around. Yeah, I don't think candy film. Clark got in legal trouble, Brad. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Shit. Candy Clark didn't serve time. How dude. much of this movie, uh, uh, royalties of this movie help, uh, put someone who didn't deserve to go to college into college. <laughs> Probably paid for the freshman year. Oh, damn. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, no, I, I. Do we all have Shutter? We all have Shutter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love a lot of the stuff on Shutter, uh, and I think Shutter is one of the few when they do their Shutter originals. I think them and A twenty four and a couple of others are the ones that are making up that twenty percent now. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that comes mm -hmm. from, you know, the Conjuring. I, I like the first Conjuring. I think it gets diminishing returns as it goes on the, the James Wan verse or whatever you want to call it. It's okay. Uh, it oh, probably borders on that 80 to 20, but it's really the independent stuff is, is where it's at. I agree. I, I don't know. That's, that's my take on it. Like I said, I it's, it's garbage, but it's, it's not the worst garbage. I, yeah. I think it's interesting. I, I don't know how you guys boring, feel I, though. Like I, it's yeah, I just wish it was yeah, more it's fun because I know boring. you had brought up earlier, Troy, do you think, it needing to be 3d heard it. And honestly, I don't think they go far enough with the 3d stuff. I think outside of the Marlin and I guess maybe the orb and that it doesn't really seem like they were going for like throwing much at you. And I'm like, no, be campy with it. If you're going to be from that time period, if it would have embraced that campiness more, I think I would have came around to this, but so much of it is just sitting around twiddling your thumbs that those few moments that do work are just too fleeting for me. That's a good well, point. Yeah. The, I think the Troy. Yeah. The Candy Clark. Yes. When the, when the uh, metal thing comes through the car, like that was pretty cool. But then you're like, she's literally driving this car and there's a screen in front of her. Yeah. Um, why didn't she turn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, the brake might not have worked, but the steering wheel definitely did work. So, you know, but anyway, um, no, I think she couldn't move the steering wheel either. Well, why? Well, it, because it happened also? in, because happened it happened in the, first, in the first movie, remember? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Priests were all driving home, and they're like, ah. the, he, so, yeah, he says the steering wheel locked up. Yeah. yeah. I do want to, Troy and I were talking this morning, and I, I do want to say that original Andrewville horror, I think people have started to kind of overlook as a horror classic. Mm -hmm. It is spectacular how good that movie holds up. It really is. Because um, I watched it 
a bit today as I was I was preparing for this. And I was surprised at how much I still love that movie and how well it holds up and how all modern like haunted house or, you know, haunted house films kind of crib from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. So I think if anything happens from this conversation, it's go watch that original because it's spectacular. Yeah. And I'd even My- say watch the, the possession because it mm-hmm. gets much more exploitative. But it also has some of that similar atmospheric and human drama that amplifies because I think that's why the first one still holds up is at its core. It's about a family. Yep. And all well, the two certainly has two well, certainly has the incest angle. But the first one is guided more by it's not just because there's spookiness going on. It's how it's affecting the members of the family that really drives it. Uh, My only thing about the first movie is that I just didn't, uh, I I think almost immediately Josh Brolin starts acting funky and weird, huh? James Brolin. James. Oh, did I say Josh? Yeah. Oh, shit. Sorry. A little bit too young at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, James Brolin just sort of, he immediately just starts acting off and getting the weird, like pale makeup. I think they could have smoothed in that transition a little better, but it is, but it is a good creepy horror movie. Um, plus you get to see his button. He's in his underwear. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I will disagree. I actually think so. I always find with a, a haunted house film or something. And I, I always, um, I, I don't know if you guys have a film that you sort of measure all haunted house movies against for me, it's the original, the haunting. I, I think that's just an absolute classic, but what's interesting about that film is it's a haunted house story, but at its core, it's really about, is this lady going insane, right? Is the house really haunted or did she just bring this, um, thing with her and she, you know, lost it. And they do a really good job of making that as important as the scares. And yep. the the great thing about the original Amityville horror is it is about, hey, is this place haunted because it drove some guy to kill his family? And is it doing it to the second one? Or is it about a guy who picked up a family because that's not his family. He married into it. That's, those aren't his kids. And he even makes some comments about, man, well, at least they're not calling me Mr. Lutz anymore. And it's now George, et cetera. So is it a guy who took on all this responsibility, new house mortgage, because they, they couldn't really afford it to begin with, um, that that kind of comes out. And you see him getting sort of cabin fever and losing his shit from all of that life pressure. That's as prevalent as the scares. And I think what Amityville Horror, the first one, does so well is it's the James Brolin, um, Margot Kidder relationship and really James Brolin dealing with that relationship on top of all the scares. It, it just adds to it, right? It adds to the authenticity, um, in Amityville, the possession, it, I think it's garbage as much as the third one. I, I know it's probably a little bit better. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, the worst, horror film series of all time is the Amityville horror film series because there's only one good film in there and that's the original one. I can't, you can say that there are varying degrees and maybe Amityville 3d has two good scenes. And then the second one has four or five good scenes. None of them, not, not any of them come close to the first one. 
And whereas we kind of talked about Friday the 13th, we like that franchise because we know what it is and it sticks to that. I mean, just look at the freaking titles of every Amityville horror movie. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It wants to be everything. Um, but yeah, I, I think the whole series is hot garbage and the first one, and, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm okay with that because when you said you bought, you know, that box set for as much as you paid for it, I'm like, you're insane. <laughs> just go buy, I tried the to 4K, talk it, buy the 4k of the first one. That's all you need. The other stuff. It, it's terrible, man. It's terrible. Well, we know, we know Jose's love for the 3d Blu-ray. Yes. Oh, I know. Yeah. So there was that. I, I, I had to, I had single handedly keeping that alive. Yeah, you are. I am all hail avatar way of the water. Um, anyway, <laughs> but Troy, I think you just hit the nail on the head of why certain horror movies endure and why, you know, even if they market to that younger demographic, there's an extra component um, for adults, but it's adding in that psychological horror. Yeah. You know, could this really happen? Is this something that's relatable with the fantastic and the scare elements? And that's why the first one works and this one doesn't because there's really no relatable component to this. You know, I mean, there's the plot is illogical, the sequences are illogical and just. And it's boring. So, yeah. It, it, and I, hey, look, today I watched Cameron and I, because he had been asking about it from Horror Hound. We watched The Beyond, Lucio Fulci. Oh, that was his first oh, Lucio Fulci cool. film. And I'm like, dude, this is a rough watch for me because it has so much eye trauma. And yeah. that spider Ooh. scene just freaks me out. Yeah, I like, hate that spider scene. I'm like, let's do it. Ugh. And Cameron asked this question. He, I think it was in the middle of it. He goes, what is going on? Like, I can't follow <laughs> the geography of where I'm like, just keep with it. So there's that sequence where they're it's towards the end. They think they're escaping from the hospital and they end up in the basement and he's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. And in his head can't process this. And I, after it was over, I'm like, okay, think about that film from the context of what is logic like when you have a nightmare and you just, mm-hmm. you saw the light bulb go off and he's like, oh my God, that movie's really cool. Is that mm-hmm. the labyrinth thing? The flooded labyrinth sort of? Deal? Yeah. The, the basement's yeah. flooded yeah. of the Louisiana hotel, et cetera. I said, now, when it's done right, and I think the Beyond does it correctly, even though the, the gore is, is really hard to sit through, uh, <laughs> it, it can make an extremely visceral, powerful viewing experience because your expectance of logic and how things work just totally out the door, right? And that's how you dream, and that's how you have a nightmare. Uh, that's why I like Hereditary so much because I think even the director was like, you're expecting this to happen and he specifically has sequences that is referring to fate is going to end this way. Like if you believe in fate, it has to end this way. So throw all logic out the door. Um, that's why events happen in that film. And you're like, what is going on? It is going to a very dark place and you can't escape fate. You can't escape. That's the whole message of that film. Uh, and it's really interesting. So when an artist a filmmaker gravitates to that theme and they stick that theme I think horror becomes very interesting and why it's probably the best genre out there. I think it's the hardest genre to do because, I mean, everybody's scared by something different, right? Do you think horror is the hardest genre to do? I think horror and comedy, to me, are the two hardest genres to do because out of everything, they are the most subjective elements, I think, within people's personalities. What finds And I think the most misunderstood as well. Yeah. Like, I think everybody thinks they can make something funny. Everybody thinks they can make something scary. 
And it's actually much harder to do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, do you, yeah. Cause I guess if you think about it, like the worst movie you've ever seen is a bad horror movie. <laughs> and I, I read something from a, a review who was talking about the new film smile and, and they liked it a lot, but they made some statement about, Hey, a good horror movie just has to have three good jump scares. And they were li- listing like this ingredients. Right. And to me, I'm, I'm looking at that going horror is not that simple. It's it, it can be a formula, but when you feel the formula, you don't like the movie. Like there's a formula in, in Amityville 3D, which is why I don't think we like it, because uh, you feel the formula. Mm-hmm. But mm. the the great thing about formula or uh, horror movies is the really good horror movies throw formula out the door. I mean, The Exorcist is about faith within a police procedural, which is really interesting. Um, you know, The Haunting is about psychological disruption and and shining is about a guy who just hates his family. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, in Amityville horror is about a guy who's going through cabin fever and feeling the pressures of this new family and life in general. Heck, you could even go back and just say it's the fifties nuclear family being torn apart by, um, the pressures of the politics and society of the late sixties going into the seventies. Uh, yeah, it's there. That's a good one, Troy. It's all there. Uh, and, the, and Barbarian has a lot to say, uh, a lot. Uh, and, and I would strongly urge everybody to listen to Jose's thoughts on it um, with w- Watch Skip Plus. <laughs> but I, I find that one very interesting because, again, it's playing into that 80%. It's got its shocks and it's there. But it's got this, this element um, in this philosophy behind it that is super interesting about women in society i think uh and that's what elevates it but yeah i just that was my epiphany for watching amityville 3d is i liked i liked re, i'll be honest i liked revisiting just because it has a soft spot for me because i saw it in the theater and i like those 80s 3d films watching because they're goofy but man <laughs> it just it made me realize like i like 20 percent of the horror movies out there right now not the other 80 percent i think it's because I'm more concerned about homeowners insurance and who the fuck <laughs> buys a house with a big ass hole in it. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. It just, I get upset about that. The realtor things. almost disappeared into, and you still bought the house. <laughs> to me, the scariest thing is the uh, water and electric bills that are going to be ratcheting up because they're constantly <laughs> messing with the lights. His insurance the- premium, his PMI alone. <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine what that is. Um, and taking a house They're in just, the early '80s on that mortgage rate, get out of here! Oh God, that mortgage rate's like ten percent. I know. You know, we don't know I how much he put down. Like, not much because like a- <laughs> he's in a divorce. Yeah, you you make the point that like a good horror movie is going to have something even as fantastic as some of the elements may be. There has to be something relatable, right? Yeah. Nobody likes clowns. Nobody likes creepy dolls. Nobody likes you know Spiders. ghosts or whatever. But then you add that psychological component. Am I seeing these things? Am I going crazy? Am I just stressed out by my crappy life? You know, those are the things that stick. Not something goofy like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this sort of fun house yeah. that am- that this movie is a boring fun house, but a you know fun house nonetheless. So. And if you're gonna go that fun house route, you need to go really campy with it. Make me feel like I'm in a boardwalk haunted house where things are jumping out at me and they're goofy, kind of laughing. This doesn't really get to that. I can 100% get behind that if you give me that vibe, but I didn't get that vibe for the most part from this. 
That's yeah. that's a good analogy, Justin, because the haunted shack on the Ocean City boardwalk, that little, uh, I, I, I don't think I've taken Brad there yet, but I know you guys have written. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite yeah. thing in Ocean City, and that thing yeah. is scarier than this this film. Yeah. Well, that's because they uh, the one year you were telling me that they didn't have clowns but spiders, and it turns out they got rid of the spiders for clowns. So. Yeah, and they put clowns in it, and, and yeah, I crapped my pants when we went through this year. I don't oh. like Yeah, it was too scary. Um, no, I, hey, look, it's, it's, um, it's a boring haunted house film, right? I do have one question that I wrote down and it was an, an epiphany. And this goes to any film that deals with like Ouija boards or seances, not just this one, but the whole point of a Ouija is you put out the letters and then that's how they communicate. What if the ghost you're trying to communicate with is illiterate or doesn't know your language? <laughs> or I don't know why this made me think of it, but this was the time I was like, wait a minute, how would this work? If that, you have that barrier. Yeah. What if it's a child? They don't know how to read or spell. Exactly. Or yeah. Hey, what if it's a native American and okay. you're oh, on their burial yeah. ground and you're using this Ouija board? They, they can't speak your language, right? Exactly. So yeah, it's garbage. It's why they smash the glass. That's true. It's like, also, I, I who you decided, remind me that I can't read. Also, who decided the order of the letters? Did you see that? Anyway, whatever. Yeah, it this was is a dumb really movie. Odd. It's a dumb movie. It's stupid. Do, uh, this so, is what happens when a movie's dumb. You start looking at stupid stuff like this. I, I, so we asked Justin if he believes in ghosts. I'm, I'm curious, Brad. Do, do you believe in the paranormal of the ghosts and everything? Does that absolutely? You do. Yes. You, do you have any incident that pushed put you in that camp? Or yes. Yeah. I vividly remember when I was little being downstairs in my basement and feeling something touch me to the point where I literally could feel like the hair on my arm stand up. And then I heard something say my name and I literally could still relive that moment to this day. Oh, okay. Wow. And I was abducted by aliens. (laughs) at the same time one after the other of course you were um (laughs) what about you jose where where do you fall on this one oh yeah totally totally believe in the supernatural all of it that's why um i know this is going to sound super weird but that's why uh i mean i grew up religious catholic right went to church all the time um but when i saw constantine are we all all lapsed catholics yeah i I believe so i know i am yay yep but when i saw when I saw Constantine, what I thought was interesting about Constantine was that they didn't really say like God and the devil don't exist. They were like, God and the devil exists. And they're in a little bit of a war with each other. And there's a detente with demons and, and ghosts and things like that. And that's why I really just fell in love with the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves, because it's sort of like fit into the whole world vision of like Catholicism plus the demons. So mm. yeah, I believe in them. Yeah, I don't know what to really? believe. I, so I can tell you, I've seen some stuff. Uh, the most vivid stuff was when I was doing heavy uh, Chinese boxing and meditation. And I saw things that were as clear as what I'm looking at you guys right now. But then the more I went back and looked at the diet I was on. So things like protein deprivation, et cetera, affect you. I mean, there's a reason why there are certain diets and stuff for for people that are prisoners. Um, And when you're going to brainwash them, et cetera, I feel like I was on some of that dietary restriction for training, et cetera. And when you get into meditation, I'm 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 kind of in Justin's camp. I 100% believe that perception is reality and you will create whatever reality you want to see because I've done it. 
but at the same time, you'll catch me on a day where I'll have those incidents like Brad and go, man, this is really spooky. Something's going on here. I don't know what that is. Um, it, it could be something totally scientific, but, and you'll never catch me around those exorcist steps uh, over in <laughs> DC or whatever. I don't care if there's a seven 11 there now or not. I'm, I'm not going by it. Uh, I, the, the squishy I, gives you protection from possessions. Ghosts can't possess squishies. I, I don't know. Um, I still have a hard time <laughs> finishing the first exorcist film. I don't think I've actually seen it all. Cause I'm always hiding under something while I'm wow. I've heard all of it, but it still scares me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Catch me on what day it is. And it depends, I think, on what mood mood I'm in. But And I will say, as somebody who is a skeptic, that doesn't. I had experiences when I was a kid that I still can't explain. For me, it's a little bit harder because I was a kid, so did that play into it? But there was still one that even my parents to this day, unless they're ribbing me, which that's a long rib, so good on them. But there was, I had an alarm, and I forget which one it was, but it spoke, and it just started going off when we were out in the living room. So we just unplugged it and threw it across the room, Nobody went to the room and like 30 minutes later, it starts going off again. It somehow plugged itself back in. <laughs> so I can't explain that one outside of the fact that I was a kid and maybe somebody was playing a prank on me and I just still going with it to this day. But I also know I lived in that house for a long time. My mother still lives there and nothing terrible has happened. So if there is a ghost there, it's just a prankster. I love that stuff, man. I, I love yeah. all those stories. I love watching those stupid little YouTube videos when they're like, Oh, yeah. oh, look, I caught my daughter playing with the ghost or what? And I'm sure there's some trickery going on, yeah. but oh, I'm, I'm still a sucker for those. Even if I'm like yelling at them nine times out of 10, because sometimes it's like, well, that could just be, but there was one where they were convinced it was a ghost. I'm like, it looks like condensation on the yeah. window, not a ghost, but I still get wrapped up into it. It's still, the idea is very tantalizing. Absolutely. And I, I, I love, <laughs> I love this whole Amity horror stuff because I mm -hmm. think it's as much of an interesting, uh, how do I, how do I say it? Like commentary on society and how this franchise came to be. And even that documentary we talked about, like sort of the aftermath of people that were attached to it and, and getting to see how they lived their life under that spotlight, I think is fascinating. It's very sad. But um, at the heart of it, it's it's kind of like man, I don't I don't believe that ha house is haunted. I don't I don't believe any of the stuff around this. But I'm always fascinated by the things um, that were drawn to the events, uh, except for the, these 120 whatever sequels they are. The first one's still the best. And please <laughs> do yourself a favor, go buy that 4K Vinegar Syndrome. It's it is one of the best 4K releases. There's, there's so much extra stuff on it, and there's a commentary on the 4k disc from some parapsychologist. So you can, you can actually watch the movie with the parapsychologist. I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure he'll tell you how all real this stuff is. Interesting. Wait, Troy, ha have you had any ghost experiences or uh, supernatural experiences? I, yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I've seen stuff, like I said, especially when I was in doing the meditations, I'd, I, I think I've seen Oni and, and all, you know, those kind of things. But again, I would look at that and go, uh, there, there could be things on my diet, protein deprivation, mm -hmm. thing, things like that mm -hmm. that would have affected me. Because again, what you can, you can get your body to do whatever it is that you want it to do. You can get your brain, you know, your brain is going to, is going to see whatever it is you tell it you want it to see. So 
If I, you I, want there to be a ghost, you could make anything seem like it's because of the ghost. I hope I look, I hope there is because yeah. that means that there's an afterlife and yeah, I, I really want there to be one so that Brad and I can continue podcasting for, you know, Ooh. eternity. <laughs> yes. Now, does that have to go on its own like ghost network or can uh, this reality, the first life as opposed to the afterlife, can they get access to? So you've heard about the cloud. Space. You've heard about the cloud. The there's, cloud. There's a cloud. There's there's a heaven version of that, so they will be able to broadcast. Oh, thanks. So. You think oh. I'm going to heaven? That's very sweet of you. <laughs> yeah. Does it get a transmission down below? Yeah, I don't. I. That's a good question. Um, any any other thoughts on this one? This <laughs> Friday Friday Thirteenth Amityville 3D. Sorry, wrong franchise. Nothing? I I would have Friday Thirteenth and 3D is a lot more fun. Oh, that movie's awesome. <laughs> Love that film. I mean, other than the fact that the house blew up at the end of two and blew up again at the end of three, how in the world can they still keep making these? Well, it sears the thing. And I think they did this in the Simpsons where the house just rebuilds itself. Yes. Jose, it depends on, okay, from your insurance Insurance? policy, did you get like fair market value or actual cost base? So it depends. Could easily get rebuilt. Um, It just depends on what your insurance premium is and, and sort of what you had to pay. Uh, up front out of pocket was he going to use this as his primary residence i think he was which he could have also got the tax deduction because Mm -hmm. he had his business inside there too yeah oh yeah Yeah. more on that in the next follow-up pot no i'm just kidding Um, actually llc make sure that you know yeah they couldn't come after us i just thought about that somebody i rent right now but as somebody who works from home and will eventually be buying a house probably could i since i work from home get that tax deduction or is it harder because it's not my business? We're going to have to talk on that one. There, there's yeah, I was going to say, it's not yeah. my business I work for. It's probably not. I'd yeah. have to. <laughs> hey, look, for for a low, low fee, Brad and I will consult you on your own purchase. <laughs> okay. I like that. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Justin, with the, the famous question. We just got done having a great time talking about this classic 80s 3D film, Amityville 3D. So I'm going to start with you, man. Is is Amityville 3D a bomb? Well, anything is a classic if you call it, I guess. Nah, it's a bomb for me. <laughs> okay. All right. How about you, Jose? Where do you, where do you land on this? Absolute bomb. 100% bomb. Oh, man. I, I'm excited that we found something that you don't like, but I'm kind of sad, too, because you like everything. So I know. Well, I'm I starting know. to learn that's not true on our show, though. <laughs> yeah. Be surprised As I said me. before, I am the Troy. <laughs> On our show. I consider that a compliment. Thank you. Uh, Brad, where were you landing on this one? Oh, absolute bomb for me. Yeah. I, let's make it a hundred percent. This, this oh. sucker's a bomb. Oh man. I thought you were going to be the one in four. No, not this time. I look, I, I, I am the Jose of our show because I will like some stuff that Brad will still give me crap over. Uh, not, <laughs> not solar babies. Um, but yeah, not this one. Sorry. I'll take solar babies over this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I probably would. Too. <laughs> <laughs> At least something happens in that movie. I agree. Um, Brad, we got another sequel around the corner. It's my pick. Yeah, yeah, we do. This one is the fifth sequel of this series. It is Dominion, prequel to The Ooh, Exorcist. From yes. 2005. Directed by Paul Schrader Paul himself. Schrader. Oh, ah. Man, there is a history on this one. Uh, we're going to yeah. get into it. If you guys are playing along, a little spoiler on this one, $30 million budget. Yeah. Well, 
And even then there's a big question mark. Mm-hmm. So yes. we'll, we'll get 30 into million the, went to what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 30 million went into, let's just scrap this and then reshoot an entirely different film. <laughs> <laughs> let's go from Paul Schrader to Rennie Harlan. Are you oh, going to watch both of those, Brad? And I like Rennie Harlan, but that's a, Yes, Quite I'm going to watch both. I'm going to watch both. I, I am too. If if time allots, I will do my yearly Exorcist viewing of the first one. I may I may try and squeeze in Exorcist two. I may try and watch all of them, but I'm definitely watching the Paul Schrader, the one we're talking about, plus the Rennie Harlan one, um, which there's a whole history about uh, how that one came about that's related to this. So, yeah, uh, surprisingly, an Exorcist movie bombed, which is crazy. Um, guys, you want to you want to talk about your podcast one more time and, and let everybody know what's around the corner for you? I will leave that one to you, Jose, since I oh. intruded earlier. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, Watch Skip Plus is our show. Uh, we do have an episode coming up on Thursday uh, that's going to be released at noon where we talk about Don't Worry, Darling. Um, and that was quite a rousing discussion. We recorded yes. that. Today it's it's probably a long episode, but it warrants it. I do and think it's our longest. When I was looking at where it's going to come out, yeah, very polarizing. This don't worry, darling, Olivia Wilde movie. So, um, and if any of anybody wants to reach out to us, uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, our homepage is anchor.fm backslash watch hyphen skip. And then if you want to email us, you can do it at watchskipplus at gmail.com. Spell out the words, no punctuation. Okay. Brad, if they want to get a hold of us and give us some suggestions on some movie bombs, we, we already started putting the 2023 schedule together. Dude, yeah, I think we, January's done now, right? Yes. Yeah. We're we're like on March now. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, Sweet. that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can head to notabombpodcast.com and contact us there. Yes. Justin, Jose, I know you guys, Sundays are busy because you record your show, mm-hmm. um, and I know you guys are just super busy to begin with, but I can't thank you enough for taking time just to hang out with us. I mean, love you guys. I love seeing your faces. Um, you're two of the best friends that we have. I love it when we get to hang out, but um Man, I just, I just thank you. I appreciate all the time and all the energy you, you put into your show and also taking some of that and directing it over here because this was a lot of fun. You guys got to come yeah. back again. I am very thankful that I finally got to be on this show. I know this is one that we've I've been talking to Troy and Brad about finding an episode to hop on. Uh, I absolutely love the just the premise of this show entirely. The only downside, I guess, to me being on is now I don't have an episode to listen to because I don't like to hear myself. So, but I had an absolute blast as much as this film was a bore. This episode was not. Uh, and thank you so much for, for having, having us um, Troy and Brad, as you know, this, this not a bomb is kind of my home. Uh, Cause you guys oh, were here. He, com- the first- here, here he comes Troy. Here oh, he comes. He's a, hey, <laughs> don't, don't change the locks. <laughs> first podcast to just, you know, Oh, I got a text message. that says, Hey, you up. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have a talk after this. Jose. I thought we put a down payment on our podcasting home. <laughs> first podcast. You gave me, you know, a guest appearance and, you know, you guys inspire me. You, this is my home. I call it my home. 
And I love you guys. Thank you so much. We love you. I, it's it's amazing to me how many people still will come up and go showgirls, showgirls, yep. showgirls. Oh. Everybody loves that showgirls episode. What, dude, I, I, that's one of my favorites. I can't believe how you opened my eyes to that film. I like showgirls. I like showgirls. Yeah. <laughs> I also crazy. had to explain to coworkers because I was in the office that day why I was laughing so hard at Troy's description <laughs> of, well, you know, uh, and I was like, there's no way for me to describe this without possibly going to HR. Yeah. So I just said, ah, it's, it's an inside joke. Yeah, it's not a suitable for work <laughs> description. And I apologize yeah, profusely for that. Uh, <laughs> that was, I didn't know how else to explain that but <laughs> i love it I, I that's how i always explain it now look i'm a simple person okay <laughs> <laughs> i try to explain things in a simple way but uh all right brad anything else oh it, what podcasts should everybody check out outside of watch get plus uh your mom yeah my daughter's gonna love that yeah uh yeah so we have Obviously, the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. Uh, we have Watch Skip Plus. We have the VHS Files. We have the Backlook Cinema podcast. We have the Iron Sequel. We have Night of Living Night of podcast. Living podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's. I'm sure there's a I'm bunch sure there's more. Some more, but yeah, yep. And do everyone a favor if you listen to a podcast and you like it, share it with other people, and if you have time reach out to the people who make that and tell them that you enjoy it and you're sharing it with people. You don't have to leave reviews. Just let them know that you're passing it along. It means a lot. Trust me. Absolutely. And and I got to tell you guys, I mean, our, our favorite thing is when you send us a, a two sentence email, text, whatever it is that uh, just shares your thoughts on something that we talked about. And, you know, especially if, if you think we got something wrong and you got a different take on it, Send it our way. If you want to try and stump Brad at some Quentin Tarantino, I can't even say it, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> trivia, send it our way. Brad will surprise you. This Life in operation. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the show. I hope you're enjoying a very spooky October. Come back next week for what quite possibly could be the scariest franchise ever. I don't know if it's the scariest movie of the franchise, but man, that first one's a banger. We'll probably talk about it. Um, But yeah, join us next week for Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Check you later. Don't lose your head. 